All right. Well, good morning. How are you guys doing? Yeah, doing well. Enjoying. Somebody, somebody said something. I'm doing well. Thanks, Aaron. Thanks for asking. I appreciate that. Uh, <laughs> well, my name is Marco. I am the. Hold on. I'm so sorry. Should I get off of this? No. I keep going. All right. Okay. There it is. Whatever that is, let's keep that going. Uh, my name is Marco. I am the preaching and teaching pastor here at Storehouse Community Church. Thank you guys so much for joining us this morning. Hope you got some coffee. Hope you're uh, comfortable in, uh, in, in the chairs. Uh, man, just a couple of things before we dive into our time. Uh, if you're new, if you've been joining us for the past couple of weeks, uh, man, we'd love to hang out with you. On your chair should be these Connect Cards Fill one out, drop it in the offering basket or in the connect desk in the back, and uh, one of us will get back to you uh, as soon as possible. Number two, uh, also in the back connect desk and on some of the chairs are some Bibles. Man, if you don't have one, especially as we're going through the Beatitudes, if you don't have a Bible, that is our gift to you. Please take one. Um, they, they are free 99. The Valley loves that. So, so you can take a Bible with you. So here's what I'll do. Why don't you go ahead and open your Bibles with me or load your Bible on your phone. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 5, verses 10 through 12. While you do that, I'll ramble a little bit, and, uh, and then we'll, we'll dig into our time. So today we are landing the plane. We are closing our time in this series of the Beatitudes. The Beatitudes have served uh, as our summer series for the past now eight weeks. Uh, the Beatitudes have been a tremendous blessing to me. I've, I've had the pleasure of speaking with some of you uh, regarding the Beatitudes and how they have uh, just been, um, man, very dear to you. Man, the Holy Spirit revealing himself to you, uh, Jesus popping out in his word, uh, either revealing stuff to you, convicting you of sin, and just seeing transformation in your, in your life. I think one of the biggest encouragements that I've received from the Beatitudes has been the fact that, one, I can look at them, and I'm sure you can too, I can look at them as this moral checklist, uh, but then Jesus all of a sudden turns everything around and uh, really, with a mirror, shows me the pride in my morality and, uh, and, and wrecks me. So I know some of you have had some of that experience as we've walked through the Beatitudes. If you've just joined us and you're like, what are the Beatitudes? We started this series about eight weeks ago. You can go online and check out the sermons uh, there to get caught up. Uh, we're going to go into a new sermon series uh, this coming Sunday or next week, but I'll tell you more about that later on. So here's what I'll do. I'm going to read verses 10 through 12, and then I'm going to pray uh, and then by way of introduction, we'll just, we'll just get into our time, all right? So here we go. This is Matthew 5, 10 through 12. This is what Jesus says. He said, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Join me in prayer. God in heaven, as we begin, as we begin our time, uh, as we begin our time in, in light of the preached word, 
One, I pray that my, my prayer is simple. And that is that your Holy Spirit would impact and affect our hearts, the hearts of my brothers, my sisters, those who are visiting, that your Holy Spirit would just impact and affect our hearts, convicting us and compelling us to repent so that we would worship you freely, worship you openly. As we come to a close in the Beatitudes, Lord, my my prayer is also that we would not see these statements as just a moral or as a moral checklist, but that we would walk through the Beatitudes regularly as we self-evaluate the condition of our hearts and our relationship with you. I pray that I would be set aside in this time and that it would be you speaking through me. I pray that you would be glorified in this time when we ask all these things in your son's name. Amen. All right, here we go. I just, I just had a brain fart. Hold on. Okay. <laughs> Where are we? We're talking about persecution today. That's what I know. All right, here we go. We're going to jump into a quick review concerning... I don't mind being human up here. Okay, so we're going to jump into this quick review over the Beatitudes because I think this is really important. Um, Every every Sunday that we've walked through a Beatitude, I've given you kind of this this preface into them. I'm going to do the same thing now because I think it's, it's, it's very important. Number one... Uh, one of the things that we've talked about regarding the Beatitudes, and I'm really only going to cover three things, but one of the things that we've talked about regarding the Beatitudes is that all of these characteristics, all of these Beatitudes are to be displayed, reflected by all Christians. Not some of these Beatitudes, not some Christians, but all Christians. I think because we can look at it like a moral checklist, oftentimes when we walk through the Beatitudes, we will think, man, that's for the elite. That's only for a special forces group of Christians. But the truth is that when we walk through the Beatitudes, Christians, all Christians, are to display these characteristics. Now, because of our fallen condition, each one of us may vary in the degrees of these beatitudes, but nevertheless, we are to be actively engaged in these characteristics. With that said, here's what that means. We cannot say that we are poor in spirit, but not merciful. We cannot say that we are mournful, but not pure in heart. We are to display all of these characteristics if we're going to be not just logical, but consistent with the word of God. As a result, all of these beatitudes will not come naturally to you. None of them do. If you try to knock out or take care or engage, however you want to look at it, in these beatitudes, apart from the dwelling presence and power of God, the Holy Spirit, you will fail. Ultimately, maybe, maybe two things will happen, and I don't want to dive into this, but maybe two things will happen. You'll dive into them, and you'll grow proud, or you'll just grow into despair. Those, those might be the two things that will happen. But apart from the dwelling power and presence of the Holy Spirit, we will fail in these beatitudes. 
Now, what makes them so impactful is that as Jesus is teaching, he is ultimately showing us a mirror of who we may not be, of who we think we are and we're not. The joy that comes from the Beatitudes is that there is hope in the gospel, that through repentance, man, God can do an amazing work in the individual. And finally, as we dive into the last Beatitude, uh, and I've mentioned this before, I don't know your circumstance. I don't know what's going on. I don't know uh, some of the seasons that you find yourselves in. I don't, I don't know that. But the Beatitudes isn't speaking in light of your circumstance. The Beatitudes, Jesus through the Beatitudes, is addressing us as the individual. And I think that's what makes it so difficult to hear. That's what makes it so difficult to actually want to change. Because we want justice. We want actually the circumstance to change. We want other people to change. We want someone else to do something. But when we find ourselves in the Word of God, specifically in our time in the Beatitudes, we are hearing the Holy Spirit convicting us of our sin and the things that we need to repent of and the things that we need to do differently. And I think that's what makes the Beatitudes so difficult. So, with that being said, let's take on, at the very least, verse, verse 10. This entire time is going to encapsulate both verses, uh, but as a way of being repetitive, here's, here's verse 10 one more time. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Here's one thing that I'm going to do. That word blessed, that's something that we've been making a big deal of in this series. I'm going to come back to that at the end. For right now, we're going to tackle those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. So we need to do some breakdowns. If you're new, I love breaking things down, and I love lists. Here we go. We need to first talk about what is meant by persecution. That's the first thing that we need to unpack, because I think that in and of itself is going to reveal a lot about what we think persecution is and uh, where we stand on persecution. Here's what I'll say about persecution, right? When we're talking about persecution, we're addressing two things. Persecution by hand. In other words, there is physical harm that comes with persecution. Or by the tongue, that there are poor choice words, harsh words, uh, really just uh, discouraging and diminishing words that are used to tear people down. Both by the hand and the tongue, they are a result. In other words, persecution is a result of who we are and how that belief shapes our lives. Okay? Okay. It's a result of who we are and how that belief shapes our life. And and in the simplest way, here's the main idea of our time. In the simplest way, here's what I mean. If you belong to Jesus, you will be persecuted, not because you are good, not because you are noble, and not because of your cause, but because you are righteous. That is why you will be persecuted. Say it one more time, because that, that, that is really the main idea of our time. You will be persecuted, not because you are good, not because you are noble, not because of your cause, but because you are righteous. And we'll talk more about that later. So when we go back to that first point, what is meant by righteousness, we're talking about something like physical harm or harsh words that tear us down as a result of who Jesus says we are. Number two, why must uh, Christians be persecuted? Same thing, I'll give you another two things. First one is going to be God's decree. 
God's decree. And we're going to look at John 15, verses 2 and 3, so that I can expand on that. Here's what Jesus says. He writes, Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. That's John 15. Here's what Jesus is ultimately saying in this section as we look at God's decree in terms of persecution. One of two things are going to happen. Particularly if we say we belong to Jesus, you will either be pruned or plucked. And you can read John 15 for, the, for more context on that. We will either be pruned or plucked. That's it. Jesus says that he will prune those who belong to him. Why? So that we would mature, right? Like when uh, the, the example of, of the vine and the branches, the whole point of him pruning the branches is so that they would grow in uh, maturity, is so that they would bear more fruit, and so that they would be healthy. Now you use that analogy into our life. That is, in a nutshell, what sanctification is. That we grow in our maturity, that we grow in our understanding of who God is and what God is is done, and then we grow at the same time hating our sin. So we are growing into the maturity and fullness of Christ. In a nutshell, that's what it means by being pruned, so that we would bear more fruit. The second option is that we would be plucked. Elsewhere in John 15, Jesus says that those branches that are plucked are going to be used for kindling. What is so hard about the word in John 15 is that there are people, even people here, us included, there are people here who think they are Christian and they're actually not. And so when we look at God's decree and we look at him pruning or plucking, that's ultimately what's going to happen. We're going to grow into our maturity. We're going to grow in our sanctification or some will be plucked. That's one. That's one reason for persecution. Number two, God's design. And we look at, uh, this is going to be 1 Peter 1, 6 through 7. This is what Peter says. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Okay? Here's what we mean by God's design. When we are persecuted, when we are suffering, it's not like God is getting his jollies off. It's not like he's like, man, this, I enjoy it when this happens. Part of the reason it happens is because like gold being tested through fire, it is to test the genuineness of our faith and so that we would be refined in our faith, so that we would actually come out pure on the other side. By God's design, that's what it means to be tested by fire or trials. When you would get a piece of gold or when you would dig up gold, not that I ever have, but when you would dig up gold and you put it through fire, a couple of things happen. The reason you do it through, through fire is because when you have that, that piece of gold, one, you need to make sure that it's genuine gold, right? So it's not going to, I guess it's not going to burn in fire, but that's one. Number two, when you put a piece of gold in fire, it has several minerals on it. 
fire burns off of those minerals so that when it's brought out from the fire, it is pure gold. See the analogy, Peter using gold, fire, get it? (laughs) God's design. God's design, trials by, uh, by fire in order to refine us, to purify us, and to reform our hearts. Now here's the other thing. In light of God's design, none of this is, is random. And the reason we know it's not random is because we can look to the life of Jesus. We can look to the life of Jesus. Man, was Jesus persecuted? Yeah, absolutely he was persecuted. Man, was he tested? Absolutely he was tested. He was tempted and tested just like we were. And the writer of Hebrews says that we have a high priest who can sympathize with us. So it's not like we're out on our own trying to figure it out and God's just looking at it and saying, let me see how they do. We actually have a high priest. His name is Jesus who knows what we are going through. And in addition to that, we have access to him and access to the father because of the work of the son. Persecution is hard. Suffering stinks. And we have access to the Father because of the work of the Son. So that's number two. Number three, so then we must ask, well, then who are our enemies? And I want to be kind of obvious about this because I think, whatever. I want to be obvious about these two things. So here are two reasons I got them. I'm a little, my mind's a little boggled right now, but whatever. We got two of them. Number one, open enemies. All right? I don't think that's necessarily what people thought I was going to say. But here's what I mean by open enemies. These are people, individuals, man, who don't know Jesus, who don't belong to Jesus, who, who openly persecute Christians. Man, by, uh, by the hand, that by physical harm, or by the tongue with like really hard, harsh language. People who don't know Jesus, they openly persecute, publicly persecute Christians. And then the next one is secret, uh, secret enemies. Sorry. Here's what I've come to learn about secret enemies. Oftentimes, not always, but oftentimes, some of the most violent and upsetting and discouraging form of persecution happens in the church. And that's what I mean by secret enemies. Because when we look at the life of Jesus, who are the main characters that were persecuting him? It's the Pharisees, right? These were the religious leaders of the day. These were the ones that held to or said they held to the word of God. These are the ones that devoted their lives to study. They are also the ones that crucified him. And so when it comes to secret enemies, man, if if you have found yourself in that position where you are saying some discouraging, horrible, hard things to Christians. Not because, uh, you know, uh, you want to tell the truth, but because you're just being mean. You're just, I don't know, saying some really evil things. I can't really think of the word right now. I'm not asking you to leave. I'm asking you to repent. I'm asking you to repent and to place your trust in Jesus. That's what I'm asking you to do. I'm asking you to repent and place your trust in Jesus. 
Oftentimes when we look at secret enemies, and I know I'm spending a lot of time there, but oftentimes when we look at secret enemies, part of the reason we say hard things, we say nasty things, we say difficult things, or not difficult things, I don't want to say that, we just say harsh things, is because we do it under the guise of Christian liberty, and we'd also do it under the guise of, I just tell it like it is. No, you're just mean. You're just not nice. Uh, for lack of a better word, you're, you're just a jerk. Right? But we do it under the guise of like, they just need to hear truth. They just need to be told. And we do it under this guise of Christian liberty. And we wave that flag. And we do it in community groups. And we do it in prayer. To, whatever it is. And all you're doing is tearing the church down. That's what you're doing. So I'm not asking you to leave. I am asking you to repent. I am asking you to repent, to place your trust in Jesus. Number four, in light of that, in light of persecution, we must also begin to discuss what righteousness is. We must discuss what righteousness is. <clears throat> if we're going to be persecuted for being righteous, we need, to, we need to talk about that a little bit. So the first thing that we're going to talk about is justification. The doctrine of justification is talking about our legal standing before God. That's what it's talking about. Our legal standing before God. If you belong to Jesus, then what doc, uh, the doctrine of justification says is that we are just before God as a result and sacrifice of another. Not because of our work and not because of our merit. That God accepts us on the condition of faith alone. And what, is, what does that look like? That on the cross, Jesus took our debt and gave us his credit. He took on our sin and in exchange gave us his righteousness. That if we walk day to day, in the, with righteousness, it is a righteousness that we have not obtained. It is a righteousness that has been given to us on behalf of the work and sacrifice of another. That is what it is meant when we're talking about being right before God. In addition to that, there's something called, and I mentioned it earlier, there's something called sanctification. So if justification is our legal standing before God, that is when God now looks at us, he doesn't see us, he sees Jesus in us, the process that comes after is called sanctification. This is where we are growing in our maturity and our understanding of Jesus and our love for Jesus and hating our sin by putting it to death. That is the process of sanctification. So when we are talking about righteousness, that's what we mean. That we are just before God. That we are repentant. Lack of a better word. The next thing is, so what isn't righteousness? And here, I want to spend some time here. The reason for this is because when we look at persecution, even when we look at uh, righteousness, Many Christians, I think, misinterpret it as a result of the circumstance they are in because of their actions. 
Here's, here's what I mean by that. And I don't know if that's the right way of wording it, but whatever. What isn't righteousness? So the first one is uh, <laughs> persecution because of our offenses. Here, here's what I mean. Sometimes I think Christians will say, man, I am being persecuted. I am suffering. Uh, my, uh, my boss doesn't like me, and that's why he fired me. No, you got fired because of a poor work ethic. That, that's not persecution, right? Or you make some really poor and foolish and even ignorant decisions, and it has an impact on other people, and it affects your relationship with those other people, or it does whatever. It has consequences. And then we turn around and say, man, I'm being persecuted. No, no, you're not. That is not persecution. Those are consequences of your foolish decisions, That's not persecution. When we look at the context of persecution, you're not seeing people go out there looking for it. It comes to them because of their righteousness. Which leads into the next one. Persecution because of attention or by attention. We see this a ton on Facebook, but here's here's the thing, man. Like, We'll be in hard situations or hard circumstances, and then people will blow up social media and begin to talk about it and say, man, look at what I'm doing for the kingdom. Look at what I'm doing for God. No, that, look, people who are martyrs, I don't think wanted to go out that way. Okay? People who are martyrs, I don't think they wanted to go out that way. When Peter was crucified upside down, even though it was foretold to him, I don't think he thought, you know what? I think this would be a baller way to go. Right? Persecution by attention. Sometimes Christians, man, are just pursuing that stuff to say that they're being persecuted so that they would get attention, so that they would see how holy they are. And look at my righteousness. The righteousness you carry costs someone else's life. That's the whole point of righteousness. Why would you be flaunting it as a way of something that you've personally attained or to show some self-righteous form of your life? It's not how it works. We ruin our witness. We push people back. God chose to reveal himself through the church. And when we do that for the sake of attention... We ruin our witness. We push people back. We push one another back. We are divided. When you look at persecution even overseas, and there are hundreds of thousands of people who are persecuted daily, hangings, beheadings, etc., etc., I don't think that's the way they wanted to go. I think they understood following Jesus would cost them something. But I don't know if they thought, this is how I'm going to go. Or that they pursued that manner. Now, I'm not also going to compare us to across the seas. There's obviously contextual differences. So how does persecution, how does righteousness affect you and I in the United States, in the Rio Grande Valley, specifically in Hidalgo County or McAllen? I don't know. I don't know if it really is going to affect us in terms of physical harm. Though it might. I'm not saying it's not going to happen. But I don't know if it will really affect us that way. I think it will affect us more by the tongue. 
And some of you have experienced some of that. Some of you have experienced rejection because of who you follow now. Some of you have been rejected by your family because you have picked up your cross and following Jesus. Some of you have experienced discouragement. Some of you have experienced despair because of, man, who Jesus says you are and and how that shapes your life. Sure, persecution across the seas is totally different. That doesn't make yours less important. Because I get it. I get what it looks like to be rejected. I get what it looks like to have an arm extended and to lose friendships and to lose relationships. I understand that. I don't know what it's like to be persecuted uh, by physical harm where people are chasing me or hunting down my family. I, I don't know that. I don't know what that is like. But I do know rejection and discouragement and despair. I, I, I understand that. And again, contextually, things are different, but that doesn't make our persecution less important. It doesn't mean you shouldn't have an effect. It is going to have an effect. But remember, persecution is in light of the righteousness that we walk in, a righteousness that was given to us by the blood and sacrifice of another not because we went out there and we were flaunting it all day long, right? So that's what it's meant by, by I guess, self-righteousness, right? Or being persecuted for self-righteousness sake. So then what must we do? What is it that we need to do for beginning to have this understanding of, man, persecution in light of righteousness sake? What must we do? This is where we get into a little bit more practical stuff. So I think, I think we need to renew our minds. I think our hearts need to be changed, and we need to renew our minds. So the question then is, how do we suffer well? If persecution is coming, if suffering is coming, if those seasons are upon us, or maybe you're in it right now, or maybe you just got out of it, or maybe you're seeing that horizon, if it's coming, which it will, how do we suffer well? Here, was, here would be what I would say. Number one, Suffer well with joy. Joy is not an emotion. Joy is a lifestyle. Joy comes as a result of worship. The opposite of joy, I think many times we forget, the opposite of joy is not unhappiness because joy isn't an emotion. The opposite of joy is a lack of repentance. That is the opposite of joy. So before we can move into anything, I think this is where it gets hard because now we begin to self-evaluate ourselves instead of looking at the circumstance. No, 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 I want to talk more about the circumstance. <laughs> we've got to start with you, right? If we're going to suffer well, we're going to suffer with joy. So the question then is, are you repentant? That is, taking your eyes off of your sin and placing your trust in Jesus, literally changing your mind and changing direction, placing your trust in Jesus. So that's number one. Suffer well with joy as a result of worship. Number two, with courage. Again, I told you, it's going to be difficult. It's going to be discouraging, right? Rejection, loss of friendships, harsh things being said. You know, I remember, I remember becoming a Christian and having a group of friends, 
And then by like year one, I felt like I was the only one. I mean, that stinks, right? And some of you have experienced that. Some of you have experienced that even within your family, right? Especially down here, right? how, how deeply rooted family culture is. Man, when you say, I'm going to follow Jesus, my heart and my soul and my strength and my mind belong to Jesus, and you begin following Jesus, sometimes our families get offended by that. So you're choosing that over the family. Yes. And, it, and it, it's a little difficult. You face some rejection. Right? You face some distance in the family. So we suffer well with courage. My encouragement to you would be read to read Ephesians 6, 10 through 18. That is the armor of God. See, when you read through that, and I'm going to go back to it in just a little bit. When you read through that, one of the things that Paul says is that the reason we put on the armor of God is so that we can stand firm. He doesn't say, put on the armor of God so that nothing will happen. He says, put on the armor of God so that you stand firm. And then when it happens, so that you stand firm again. Right? So with courage. And then finally, number three, in terms of suffering well, praying for our enemies. By praying for our enemies. Why should we pray for our enemies? It's not because we're good. <laughs> we should pray for our enemies because our biggest desire should be for them to come to know Jesus. That should be our desire. Check it. You're here because someone invited you. You're a Christian because God sent someone to share the gospel with you no matter how broken it was, no matter how nervous they were, no matter how beat up it was. Someone prayed for you. Someone shared the gospel with you. That's why you're here. Pray for your enemies. In addition to that, before you were a Christian, and we talked about this last week and the week before. Before you were a Christian, you were, according to Scripture, an enemy of God. And upon Him rescuing you, you went from enemy to friend, from being orphaned to adopted, from being lost to being a son or a daughter. Pray for your enemies so that they would come to know Jesus. Not so that they get what's coming to them, so that they would come to know Jesus. I, some of you are writing notes. Maybe that was your asterisk. Like, yeah, and they need to do that. No, no, no. If, if that's what's going on, maybe that's where you need to be. Maybe you need to repent of some stuff. All right? Number two, how do we prepare for persecution and suffering? First one would be to pursue holiness. How do we pursue holiness? It's going to sound weird, but not weird. It's going to sound obvious, I think. We pursue holiness by finding ourselves in the Word of God. Because as we find ourselves in the Word of God, we're not only pursuing God and His Word because we need it, but because we're desperate for it, because we recognize our uh, depravity, because we recognize how poor in spirit we are. And so as we do that, we grow in our understanding of who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. Additionally, it means that we're actually taking it seriously. That Christianity is, yes, a lifestyle, but it is something out of desperation that we need to hear from God and we need to be changed by his Holy Spirit. Sometimes some of you 
think about pursuing holiness, I'll just go to church more. I'll just be there on every single Sunday. I'll go to a community group. I'll pray before this salad that I'm about to eat, right? That's not how it works. It works in light of our desperation of a holy God so that we would grow in our love for him, in our maturity of him, be presented into the fullness of Christ. That is how we pursue holiness. And some of you may not necessarily be in a hard season right now, That's really, really good. Pursue holiness. Because when that season or persecution happens, that should be the first thing we turn to instead of being surprised every time it happens. Right? Peter talks about that. Do not be surprised when suffering comes your way. And I think no matter how much he's said that and how much we've seen it in our lives, when it happens, we're like, but why? Right? Like, let's prepare. Pursue holiness. Number two, it would be, uh, man, that the grace of God would be at the center of our lives. The grace of God would be at the center of our lives. One of the beautiful things about justification or being just, being declared just, is that in your walk with Christ, you will fail. In your walk with Christ, you will fail, but he doesn't love you less. All right? When you say, man, I'm going to read the Bible Monday through Friday, 6 a.m., 30 minutes a day. I'm going to do it. I'm going to journal in this moleskin. I'm going to do my thing. And then comes Monday, you're like, I'll do it on Tuesday. And you, you drop the ball and all that stuff, right? Like, it's okay that you failed in the sense that Christ has already paid for your sin, for your failure. Or when you jack it up, not just do something you said you were going to do and you don't do it, but when you do something you shouldn't have, The blood of Christ covers you. That it doesn't mean you'll be removed from that justification. And so what we need to do is have a firm understanding of the grace of God so that when we fail, it is the grace of God that is our hope. It is the grace of God that helps us move forward. It is the grace of God that drives us back to our Bibles. It is the grace of God that drives us to one another so that we can not just confess our sin, but hold one another accountable and grow together in community so that the grace of God would be at the center of our lives. And number three, I mentioned it earlier, putting on the armor of God. So earlier, in terms of how to suffer well, it's put on the armor so that we stand firm. How do we prepare for it? Get to learn your armor. Get to learn the armor. When you read Ephesians 6, one of the things you'll look at as Paul goes through the armor of God is that out of everything, there are only two offensive weapons. Everything else is for defense. That's it. The two offensive weapons that we have is the word of God and prayer. That's it. Everything else is for defending. So get to know your armor well now. Get to know it really, really well. And finally, as we close our time, we go to the beginning of that word, blessed. So if we've had an understanding or we've received an understanding of what persecution is, of what righteousness really is, and how we are to suffer well, in light of all of this, at the beginning of every beatitude, Jesus says, blessed. Translation would be happy. How? How? We're going to be persecuted. How is this happiness? Or what is the result of this happiness? The condition of the Christian life 
is that we will be persecuted. The reward, however, is the kingdom of heaven. So when we talk about what is the kingdom, we talked about this last week and the week before. It's our inheritance. Eternal sonship in the presence of God. Here, here's how Peter describes it. 1 Peter 1, 4 through 5. An inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. It's an inheritance that is imperishable. No one's, he's not going to take it away from you. Nobody's going to take it away from you. It is an inheritance that will never fade. It is an inheritance that isn't going to be defiled. It is undefiled. It is for you, given to you by the blood of Christ. It won't be removed, which means our eyes are not on the reward that we receive in this life because we're not getting it in this life. We get it in the presence of God. So our eyes are there. Our focus is on that inheritance. Eternal sonship in the presence of God. Happiness is not contingent upon our circumstances, but upon our worship and declaration of a holy God who sent his son to die for sinners on a cross, exchanging our debt for his righteousness. Join me in prayer. God, as we close this portion of our time, and I just think about two things. I think about persecution and the fact that it is real. And I think about the righteousness that we are privileged to walk in because of the work of your son, Jesus. Lord, it is because of that righteousness that we can undergo persecution and suffer well. It is because of that righteousness that we have access to you through Jesus and so that we can pray for our enemies so that they would have the same access. Lord, it is because of that righteousness that we will be persecuted. But we are not alone in this. Your word says that Jesus sympathizes with us because we can look to his life and not be or feel alone. So God, my prayer is that through your Holy Spirit, you would empower us with courage to stand firm. That you would convict us and compel us to repent so that we would pursue joy, so that we would be in worship of you that you would empower us to set aside preferences, to set aside our selfish desire so that we would pray for our enemies. Lord, I think about our life and I think about the people that prayed for us and how many of them oftentimes, I'm sure, thought that we would never become Christians. Yet here we are, gathered together, worshiping you. May we do the same to those that persecute us. May we do the same to those that reject us. 
for the purpose of becoming more like Jesus and for the purpose of your glory and your glory alone. We ask these things. Oh, and as we keep going, we actually transition into a time of tithes and offerings. Lord, this is that section of our time where where we give you our stuff, where we are not tied down by materials or finances. So really, this is a demonstration of your work in us, where we relinquish the control we think we have, where we give you our stuff for the purpose of worship and so that your mission would be advanced in McAllen. Additionally, as we give faithfully and and generously, Lord, I pray that we would be good stewards of these finances as we try to expand your word and your kingdom in McAllen. God, we thank you for this time of worship and this continuation of worship, and we ask these things in your son's name. Amen.